Welcome, everybody. My name is Nancy Weintraub, and I am with Easter Seals Southern California, and we're very happy to be here. Uh, thank you all for joining us this morning for our panel discussion. We're really going to talk with our amazing panelists about how they are prioritizing accessibility and disability inclusion within their respective roles, whether they're with a company or their talent. We have one more panelist that's coming, but um, we wanted to keep things on time, so we wanted to get started. So I'm going to have each of the panelists introduce themselves and tell you a little bit about their roles and why we're here today. Hey, I'll go first since I'm over here. Hi, I'm Carla Pitalor. I'm the EVP of Enterprise Inclusion and Social Responsibility for Banerjee Americas. Um, in that role, I think we we chatted a little bit about where each of us report in, you're what good, we good. do. I work across We're divisions to ensure that our commitments to inclusion are reflected on screen, behind the scenes, and in our corporate offices. Thank you. Hi. <laughs> I'm Sue Han Pian, and I play Violet on As We See It. Um, it's an amazing, amazing, beautiful show by Jason Kadams, um, and it's about three autistic people on the spectrum. I've also been, um, I'm about to direct and produce and have a lot of, it's a very fun, fun autistic um, project that I'm doing, and other things, so thanks. Hi, I'm... Nicole Star, and I'm learning how to use a microphone. Yeah, your mic is also off. Yeah, it's off. Hello? Yeah, sorry. Um, can you hear me, everyone? Oh, thank you. Thanks, man. Um, so I'm Nicole Starr. I work at Participant. Um, we are a production company, and we believe in the power of storytelling to change the world. I am the SVP of content representation and impact there, and my job is to apply a lens of issue-based insights into our st storytelling process, as well as um, be a resource for our filmmaking team to really ensure that um, the different identities and communities centered in our films are authentically represented. So pleasure to be here. Yeah. Thanks. Hi, everyone. I'm Jerome Kaur. My pronouns are he, him. Apologies for my tardiness. Uh, this is on my schedule for 30 minutes from now. So I uh, had a great time running over here from the hotel. So, <laughs> uh, but thank you all for your service. So uh, again, my name is Jerome Kaur. My pronouns are he, him. Um, and I lead uh, the US and worldwide DIA content team at Amazon Studios, where our work is twofold. Uh, first, to ensure that we make the most inclusive content possible. Uh, and secondly, to make sure all of our productions look like the world we live in today. Um, so I'm so happy to be here and to be joined by this panel of women. Um, so thank you all so much. Um, I think in general, I'm, I'm just here again. I'm thrilled to be uh, talking with all these women who are working to change the landscape around accessibility in Hollywood. Um, so one in four Americans identify as having a disability, and yet the representation in Hollywood is dismal. Um, I see my friend Nick Novicki here. Uh, and Nick, I I remember when we first met uh, Flag that disability has been the silent D in DEI for so long. Uh, when we talk about DEI, we uh, always forget that folks uh, with disabilities are part of that and how do we ensure that we're being inclusive. Um, so in the next hour, we're going to explore how the entertainment industry is starting to evolve and become more inclusive of accessibility practices across our business units. Uh, we'll dive into what that actually means. We hope that you are leave here uh, sharing some best practices, and we want to give some recommendations on how do we incorporate this type of thinking into all aspects of our business to build a culture of belonging. <laughs> 
Um, so let's go ahead and get started. I know you all have introduced yourself, so I'm going to throw away my introduction cards. Um, <laughs> um, but of course, on this panel, we have a few different people from different businesses. And so we first want to start off because language is really important. Um, so I would like to ask uh, both all three of you, actually, um, when we say DEI, what does that stand for for you and your business? And how does it show up in your work? Nicole, you want to start? Sure, yes. Um, so at Participant, we think about DBIE or DBEI, um, diversity, belonging, equity, and inclusion. And um, it's really uh, an intentional journey. We started um, several years ago before the pandemic. And, you know, as storytellers, we think about how do we create, um, you know, a culture of belonging, both inside our, um, our production company, but also through the stories that we're telling. And so my role is a fairly new one at the company. I've been with Participant for 10 years, um, working on the social impact side, building impact campaigns that go alongside our, um, our films and our documentaries and our TV series. Uh, but within the last six months, we started this role as that commitment to um, diversity, belonging, equity, inclusion, and the power of being able to see yourself, see your community uh, reflected back in that storytelling, you know, does create that sense of belonging. It creates that sense of, um, you know, culture. And so that's, that's something that we think about. And um, it's really great to be able to, you know, be a part of the process of really developing that from the very beginning of our development through the content green light and not as a, an afterthought, you know, after the content's already produced. Nice. And just to keep on the line of business, I'm going to stay, I'm going to go to Carla and then I'm going to come back to you, Sue, as an actor and producer and director. You know, and it's, as you said, to keep it in the line of business, we really think about diversity, equity, and inclusion in terms of intentional and imperative business practices, um, not only because it's essential to create that culture of belonging internally, but also because we understand the marketplace is deeply diverse, deeply nuanced, and the multicultural marketplace, the marketplace with people with disabilities, that is our audience. So we are committed to that kind of representation on screen and behind the scenes. Awesome. Um, and then for us at Amazon, we uh, DEIA is my is a part of our group, and so we dis, uh, sorry. <laughs> so diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. Uh, we did recently at the and so my team has been around for three years now at the studio, uh, and we recently added the A at the beginning of 2023, um, just to ensure that we were holding ourselves accountable. Uh, we've always thought about accessibility as a team, but we have realized that if you don't say it externally, then how do people hold you accountable? So it's now a part of our um, of our overall group name. Sue Ann, when you see DEI, what do you think? When I was like that? Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> 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 I was like, I mean, it's yeah, this is real. <laughs> Which premiered here at South by Southwest. Yeah, uh, yeah. Hello. Um, <laughs> no, so um, this is awesome because you guys are amazing, right? You guys are doing like really badass things. And, you know, as somebody who like worked on an Amazon project, that was it's been phenomenal, like uh, from, you know, start to finish. Three years ago, that's probably when we did the pilot, right? Yeah, 2019. Yeah, yeah, oh, my God. Ago. This yeah. is really new. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah. So I, I never even heard of DEI. I mean, I, I was acting at a time when 
you know, I'm trying to hide my differences in autism. Yeah. And, you know, thank God for the theater world, because <laughs> that's where you can really be like really awkward and no one's really going to call you out. Right. <laughs> but um, but so th- it's been quite a journey to understand that there's there's um, there's space for me to uh, be truly authentically revealed. Um, and it, there's still times where I'm like scared and cringy. I had a therapist like, don't tell people you're autistic. You're never going to work again. And to a certain degree, there's, it's a bit like, Oh look, I'm, you know, we're getting all these accolades for the show and everything. And it's like crickets. And it's like, this must be the autistic employment, um, unfortunate, whatever, you know, like we don't get employed. There's a, there's a stigma. And so I've been starting, I was like, well, then let's just create our own stuff and see where we go from there. (laughs) It was like, help. Yeah, no, I I totally understand that. And it was, and and our line of business, I think is hard. I know Carla, Nicole, you can, when it comes to accessibility, because exactly what you just said, a lot of people with disabilities have been told like, and and I shouldn't say told because it was, it's the truth of the matter. Let's be quite honest here. We're, we're all family, right? Uh, so let's be truth of the matter is that when you do happen to raise, you know, your the rever- uh, reverberable hand and say, I have a disability, the first thing that happens is people recoil. And spe- specifically at employment, they're like, oh, how much is that going to cost to, like, make it accessible? What does that look like? Um, and I think it, – so it's really interesting. We're, we're having a really hard time getting people with disabilities to tell us they have disabilities mm-hmm. so that we can give them productivity tools to make sure that they're doing the best job that they possibly can. Um, and so I, I want to go to Nicole. Um, how do you specifically in your role try to prioritize making accessibility a real thing given that, you know, again, I think we have similar headwinds of, like, it's really hard to get people – to say, I have a disability and here is what I need um, to move forward? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question and, and, and a great perspective. So, you know, at participants, um, there, you know, as we are going through our development process, we literally have questions that we're asking at each stage to really think about, you know, are we being as inclusive as possible? Are we providing the resources we need to support our talent, to support our filmmakers, um, to support, you know, anyone that's a part of this production? And so um, as an example, with um, we have a film coming out called Out of My Mind, and it's going to be on Disney Plus uh, later this year. And it's based on a best-selling book about a sixth grade girl who um, she has um, cerebral palsy. And it's about her transitioning from her special ed classroom into a mainstream sixth grade classroom. Um, And so in regards to access, you know, the number of the first thing we wanted to do with that production was ensure that we were authentically casting. And so we did this really beautiful casting search and found this amazing actress, um, Phoebe, who is playing uh, the character of Melody, and she herself has cerebral palsy. Um, And just she is just, you know, seen early cuts of the movie. She just shines and she's so incredible. And, you know, I hope that um, that that just, again, steps like authentically casting help open the door for more um, for more actors who identify as having a disability. Um, but in doing that, we also worked with an organization called Respectability to ensure that our production and our set was accessible um, and that we were thinking through the needs of all of our crew, all of our talent. And so they go through, they hire um, um, accessibility coordinators. They, you know, just work with the production team. They do trainings to make sure that we're all thinking, you know, the way we need to be to ensure we're thinking of everyone's needs. And so um, those are just different ways that we do that in the process um, as we're as we're creating a film. 
Yeah, I absolutely love that. And I can't wait to see that. Like, yeah, I love that you were very, it sounds like, again, you were very intentional. And I think a, another thing that I loved hearing was how you partner with respectability. And I know we're here with Easter Seals as well. Um, and I think that's another really big, big takeaway is that like, you're not in this alone. Um, like you said, you've been uh, in your role for six months. I've been in mine for three years. Easter Seals has existed for a hundred years, <laughs> over a hundred years. Respectability has existed for two decades. And like, so there are organizations that that did this before we're here. So how do we partner with them? Cause they actually know way more than we do. Right. So I love that. Um, what about you, Carla? How are you thinking about ensuring in your role that accessibility is prioritized? Well, I, I just love that you mentioned both Easter seals and respectability. First of all, one of the things that I love about Easter seals is that they're actual service providers. Yes. Right. So when you call Easter seals and the experts there, they can really take you to the people who work with the disability community that you are trying to represent on screen. Um, so I think that our really best exa examples of representation and doing it well for disability is probably still born this way, which was on Buna Murray Productions. And that show featured um, young adults with Down syndrome and their families. It was on A&E, um, and we partnered with Respectability for it. They worked intensely with us behind the scenes, ensuring that um, the crew behind the scenes was also representative of the disability community and ensuring that as the families were um, were represented on screen, that all their questions were also answered. I mean, at this time, you know, listen, reality gets a bad rap um, quite often, <laughs> sometimes deservedly so and sometimes not. And I think at this time, there was a real feeling that there was a risk of exposure, oh. right? Now, people living with Down syndrome, we know who they are. It's not um, something that people can hide easily. But the families to expose their... Um, their dynamics, their missteps, um, yeah. their own histories, right? Their own private histories to an audience that way, I think was really challenging and daring. Um, and as I shared with, you know, often, one of the things is, and Nicole and I have talked about this, right? As production companies, um, we are selling, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah. someone on the other side, like Amazon, has to buy what we are selling, right? And yeah. and A and E bought Born This Way, and what they found was that it brought the audience of Born This Way grew um, to one million over the course of the season, which is a lot for A and E. Um, and it was found that forty percent of that audience were new to the A and E network. And that's important when subscriber acquisition for streamers is so important and people tuning in, tuning in for the first time is so important. So that that really counts. Yeah, no, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Like it really does count. To, and I think the other, what I would crystallize too is that data is king, right? Yes. I, I work at Amazon, like data is king. We don't talk about anything without data. Uh, I love it because we're all like film geeks basically. Because yeah. like, we're like, oh, this was great. What does the data say? Um, and so we do look at things exactly like that. And you're right. Like how do we acquire audiences? How do we retain those audiences? Um, and how do we make sure that they're extremely excited? And I, I can't imagine and just to uh, kind of dive a quick deeper into Born This Way, because I think it's so interesting when you see families that are surrounded by someone with disabilities, like they, they try to act like everything is perfectly fine. We're all excited about this. And, and did you have that resistance from the family at times to not, again, be honest about, hey, this is difficult sometimes? Yeah. 
And how did you all get over that? Yeah. So that I will say that that was before my time. But I think one of the things that really helped um, is that our showrunner was a psychotherapist and she came into showrunning sort of a second part of her career. Uh. Um, And so the way that she interacts with families and the way that she provides support on stage, right? Behind <laughs> on stage, um, behind the scenes, um, so that people feel prepared um, and also feel trusting in the process of exposure um, is second to none. And I've spoken with her, and she just had such an intentional viewpoint of telling the story, a, a story that would make people feel represented, make people feel seen, but also as a viewer, bring you into a world that you do not know. We all yeah. love somebody. We all love somebody with a disability. We, we, many of us love someone with Down syndrome specifically. Um, but a lot of us don't know those family dynamics um, and can put, but to be able to put yourself in that role. And, and the show, I mean, the show is so beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The show is so beautiful. And I, I agree. I, the show is beautiful. And I, I just wanted to dive into that really quick because I think, again, like you said, it's yeah. a little hard. But I, I would flag that the show doesn't end there. It's not like it stays on the woe is me, which no. we've seen so many times when we're telling stories with people with disabilities. Like, oh, my God, I'm so sad. Like, no, <laughs> people are excited and happy and proud. Oh, They're living. It has, and I, that show yeah. has incredible joy yes, in it. Yes, there's so much joy and in that, that show. Cat- Past, by the way, has incredible joy. And when when they won, completely laughing at me now. <laughs> when John Murray, um, who produced the show, won the Emmy for it, the entire cast came on stage with him in a complete show of joy. Yeah. So. Oh, I love that. And I think the other thing that both you and and Nicole uh, kind of put on is intention. And so, like, for instance, casting can be difficult uh, because we we are employers, so we are uh, bound by employment laws. So there are things that we can and can't do. So it's a little hard sometimes. But if we're intentional, we can do that. And so, Sue Ann, I want to ask you, um, sort of people in the audience that may be working on breakdowns, what are things that they can do to put in that breakdown to make sure that we welcome people with disabilities to apply and audition? for roles? Oh my God. Um, Well, I'm already seeing that. I mean, just in like the last 20 years since I've been auditioning, you know, my first SAG job was 2004. And at the time, my first agent was like, you know, there's not a lot of breakdowns for Asian people. <laughs> and, uh, but, and I got lucky. I booked my second audition and I got tapped early into the union, which was incredible. And so if I was the only Asian person in a room, it meant I got the job because I was the diversity hire. Right. And so to, but today you're looking at stuff like I just sent my friend out, you know, she's transgender and it says specifically casting authentically transgendered, right? Casting authentic disability. And these are like, this is like unbelievable, right? Because I grew up in a time where it's like you can only fit into a very certain. I mean, I was in a Weinstein movie, so you can imagine how difficult that <laughs> shit was. Part of a French. <laughs> I mean, the world was very different when I came up as an actor. Did not look and feel safe the way you know. There's like it's like oh my god, it's so loving and safe. Thank God for people like Jennifer Salke and like you know because you know you have these like. You have these incredible females here that are doing great, wonderful things in the world. And I know there's men doing very wonderful things in the world as well. Um, But they didn't, you know, it it was a very, it wasn't dominated by people who wanted to do good authentically. 
And so I'm seeing that reflected a lot in the casting breakdowns. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for that. And I agree, to be very clear. I see a lot of women doing amazing things. Our, our studio is ran by a woman. Uh, my boss is a woman. And like, so yes, and I'm so happy men are learning to shut up. Like, just shut up and listen to women. Like, please. Um, so I'm so excited. Thinking of me shutting up and listening to women. Carla, um, so <laughs> you work across multiple, like, companies, right? Like, you have to, you, you're selling, as you say, you work across a lot of production companies. So how do you scale your, your vision? And uh, make sure that that vision for Banerjee is um, scaled across all of the production companies you work with. Well, so that's a really interesting question because the way that our company is organized is that each of our production labels functions semi-independently. So it's really about being an ambassador for Right. So I sit at the Banerjee, uh, at the Banerjee level, which is the umbrella, the holding company. And so it's really becoming an ambassador for um, representation, for equity and for inclusion to each of the CEO level leaders running the companies and then working with their internal production and development teams to create an impact on storytelling. But often they seek me out. So when there's a project that needs a special eye or needs a special resource, they seek me out. And then they also seek great partners like Easter Seals, um, like Illuminative, um, to, to consult on specific projects. And so you, I love the word ambassador. Mm-hmm. So like, how do, give us a little bit of like some insight on how do you walk in that room? Like, what are, what is your armor when you walk in the room? Do you need armor? I, I mean, I always have my armor okay. and my shoulder pads. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I think it's, first of all, most of these conversations happen on Zoom. So now I'm imagining myself walking into these rooms, but, <laughs> but most of the conversations are happening on Zoom um, or over coffee or in a group meeting. So part of it is really expressing the vision um, of our chairman and our CEO to everyone. And that's something that they express as well, right? So if you see the marketplace as diverse, if you see the audience as multicultural, if you see the audience with 25% people with disabilities, then you must represent them and you must have storytelling that captures their attention. Um, and, And so I don't think that I don't think that that takes that much work, right? That that yeah. that piece doesn't take that much. I think you and I have a project together, right? <laughs> yes. Lizzo, watch out for the big girls. Yes, it did pretty well. Oh, you know, got an Emmy. You know, uh, you know a dethroned thing. Drag Race. Uh, we're very excited to say that. I'm a little too. I'm a, I'm a huge Drag Race fan, so I was definitely like laughing at everyone at the after party. I was like, LOL. But listen, Drag Race yeah. is a show that actually broke a ton of barriers Agreed. and showed what kind of representation was possible on screen. I think that Unscripted in general has, has come closer to really featuring diverse communities um, in an authentic manner because we can't cast inauthentically. That doesn't work. If you are (laughs) looking for trans people to appear on screen, they must actually be trans. If you're looking for people with disabilities to appear on screen, they must actually have disabilities. Mm -hmm. And if you want to represent a new world to audiences, um, it should be a new world that they don't know that well to keep them engaged. 
Yeah, I think that's um, very key. And I do agree. I make fun of Drag Race because I'm a Drag Race fan. So I'm a toxic Drag Race fandom, um, as everyone else is. Uh, But I remember, to your point, and thinking about um, the Drag Race journey as well. You remember when, I think it was three seasons ago, maybe? It was fairly recent when RuPaul changed it to May the Best Drag Queen win Mm -hmm. to remove gender. And uh, as it used to start with May the uh, Gentleman Start Your Engines, May the Best Woman Win, and now it changed to contestants, May the Best Drag Queen Win, to be, um, you know, inclusive. And it's like, that's one of the most diverse shows, and yet it still has to have its own journey Mm -hmm. to be more inclusive. And I think that's really where where we're talking about, too, is like, this isn't a one-all, be-all. Like, this is a journey for all of us. Mm -hmm. Um, And how do we ensure that we're not just kind of resting on our laurels, um, that we're always being mindful of how can we be more inclusive, more accessible. Um, Nicole, you gave us one example about how you're being accessible. I know there's more. Yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, just like Carla was saying, and you're saying, we're we're all on a journey. And so this role in this work at Participant really started years ago before I was actually you know, tasked with doing it, um, I started building trust with our content team to really get them to be open to sharing stories and then, hey, you know what? They're incredible organizations that can apply this lens of, um, of inclusion and, and, and of representation to the different characters we have in our films. And so, again, like Easter Seals, Muslim Public Affairs Council, Define American around immig- immigrant um, representation. And so I started to, you know, people would seek me out and say, hey, we think we need a little eye here. And it's like, great. You know, we have these nonprofits read it. They give us their thoughts, cultural consultants. But now um, I'm part of the process from the very, very beginning where people don't need to come to me anymore. They need to. I mean, they don't, they, they don't seek me out. I'm yeah, just they, part they of the first They literally need stop. to talk to you. Yeah, <laughs> which is amazing. So I'm actually looking at, you know, maybe 40 projects a week across our scripted films, our documentaries, and our episodic programs, thinking through, okay, what are the resources we can offer our filmmakers? Um, you know, are there nonprofits we should be working with? Um, what casting can we do? And so, again, just another casting example, we have a documentary that um, I can't talk about, you know, too specifically because it hasn't been yeah, greenlit yeah. yet, but um, but it is about an autistic woman, and the documentarians want to do some um, some reenactment scenes, and so we've been working together really closely to um, hire uh, neurodiverse um, actors at, at you know different ages of this woman's life, um, and it's just been such a great collaboration and. And I think what's most exciting is what I've learned in in the 10 years I've been doing this work, but I think really five years intentionally doing the representation work, is that there is just an openness to want to collaborate from our filmmakers. You know, impact used to be something that was kind of like the broccoli, you hide it under the table. Like, (laughs) yes, they're great movies. Participants won a lot of awards, but like, and we do impact. And now it's like, hey, we do impact, you know, come, come to us. And now with the representation piece, it's also the same. Like, it's such a need. It's such an asset. It only maximizes the impact of your storytelling and really authentically connects with an audience who wants to see themselves in the stories or who wants to connect with other people. I mean, it just builds empathy. It builds so much wonderful things. So it's it's been really great to see, I think, our industry evolve and um, and to have this work be more um, more dominant. 
Yeah, I agree. It's it's been really great to see that yeah. evolve. And I, I agree also like our filmmakers are so like open and you're like I'm like, "Oh, okay." And it's it's funny because a lot of times we um you know, on Amazon, we work with a lot of um really big names, uh thankfully. <laughs> like and so everyone's afraid to talk to them. And then when you go talk to them, they're like, "Yeah, how do I get this right?" Like yeah. that's literally the, and you're like, "Oh, 100%. you want to do this. Great. So you will sign off on this $10,000 trailer." And they're like, "Yeah, I will do that." Like sounds great. Um so Sue, we talked you've mentioned a little bit about um your experience on As We See It. I want to get really specific. What were those things on the set that you were surprised and delighted to see? Oh my god. Yeah, it was the most loving, beautiful set ever. One I mean, for one thing, I think all of the autistic um cast and crew that were there from the PAs to, you know, there was writers um, that are neurodiverse, autistic, Michelle, Sam. Um, and, you know, we had uh, Elaine Hall from the Miracle Project. She was our uh, uh, advocate on set. So you can just, she would just be like, it needs to be quiet in this room because we're going to bring in a ton of extras now from, you know, and you, it was, that, those were my funnest days, drama club, when everybody just came <laughs> in. Because, you, you know, there's like this light and joy to like, like humans are like, like people with disabilities, there, there's just something more present and connected to what really matters. And there's light. There's like this life here. This is my people. I have long hair. Like, you know, I've been, like, I don't want to fit into a world that doesn't care or want people like me and who are yes. different. You know what I mean? Like, who cares? Yeah. And so, so a lot of, it was, it was incredible because it's such a personal journey. And then it's such like a, wow, there's like people out there who want to catch us and work with us and be, have us be part of their lives and teams. And how amazing is that? You know, it was incredible. <laughs> I, was well, like, I love yeah. that. Carla, it looks like you want to say something. Well, okay. I just, I, I think that there's a joy to people living authentically, right? Yeah. There's a joy to um, people who, being who they are, whether it's on screen or off screen in our lives. And I think that to battle, um, anyone out there who's a misanthrope, like spend time with someone who's learned to love themselves and their lives and what they represent when that's outside the norm. So I know it, when Suanne talked about this on our, on our pre-call, it just, the joy that you brought to that project, but the joy that you bring to all your work is so inspiring. And I think it's, it's that kind of joy that drives people to be in the content business to begin with. I no, my you hit yes, a hundred percent. Like you're like we all had a, a nice cry on our pre-call. Um, <laughs> thanks to Sue Ann. Um, that was that's one of the most favorite bonding moments. Let's just all have a nice cry. Uh, but it's like, there's so much joy in all the things that we're doing. And I think that's, I'm, I'm just so excited to continue to see that. And I think some things that you were saying, Sue Ann, specifically, you had a, an advocate on set specifically for you. Um, and again, for those in the audience who are looking to do this work, it is not, um, it's not expensive, but it's not free. Like, let's be quite honest. Right, it's not free. You do need to be intentional. Um, but we, I, we recommend you to like, go see how expensive it is. I promise you it is the least expensive budget line item on your sheet. Um, but it is intentional and you do need to find those folks to do that. And we, we loved working with her because it was so, it, and I love this set and on the set, like everyone knew to listen. And was like, you be quiet. Like, if she says it needs to be quiet, be quiet. And it was so respectful of that, of, of making sure that we were being respectful and accommodating to everyone to ensure that we were all having a great 
time while we were doing this. So um, thank you for flagging that. Um, now, I do want to ask both Carla and Nicole, um, and we talked about a lot of our belief systems, our visions. How do y'all hold people accountable? So, well, we are on the same page about this. So, again, as production companies, yeah. right? So we can have internal internal standards and processes. Yes. We depend on our partners on the client side um, to have their own that are public that we can commit to. And and that's for a variety of reasons, right? Not everyone is on this journey or on this journey at the same time. I would say that um, even bigger, by the way, I would say that even bigger than a representation commitment from a studio, what I would love to see is a money commitment from studios. Because it's one thing to say, you know, 40 or 50% of our writers have to be people of color or, you know, 50% of our casting has to be women, people of color, people with disabilities. It's really different to say when those people are on screen or when we green light those budgets, we will green light the accompanying marketing budget to ensure mm. those projects are a success. And I, and I know we also talked about how we would, we wanted to hear from you, <laughs> from you, Jerome. Now I'm in the hot and seat. That's right. That's right. And Nancy said, hey, don't forget to ask Jerome questions. So Nicole and I discussed that this was a question that we were going to turn back over to you. Okay. Yeah. You're perfect for it because, you know, as a production company participant, we do sell our films mm -hmm. to distributors and um, just as Carla was saying, and, you know, that partnership of like, how are we going to market it? How are we going to talk about it? How yeah. are we going to focus on it really is in the hands of our partners, um, our distributors, and we can help and support. But yeah, really curious to see how you all mm -hmm. do this. Yeah, I think so. The first thing I would say is we do make our inclusion. So we have an inclusion policy and playbook at Amazon Studios. Um, where we take a step further and we say, hey, here's what success looks like. As you said, what we saw was all of our filmmakers were open to conversations. They all wanted to see like, hey, how can we be more diverse? How can we be more inclusive? But no one knew what success actually looked like. Um, it was this like nebulous thing. And we're like, well, here you go. We're at Amazon. So we believe in making everything quantifiable. Um, so here's exactly what we want to see. And we did fight to make it public uh, because to your point again, all, uh, we've always had internal policies but we wanted to ensure that it was public so that you all could commit to that and everyone could see, like, this is what we look for. Um, and then secondly, it's the way we view um, our, all of those goals, right? So if you look at our inclusion policy and playbook, it is by each project. So we expect each of our projects to meet a certain level of folks from historically excluded communities. Now, some of those are easier to grab because we have IDs and they've given their information to other databases. Um, and our hardest ones so far are our two communities, which is the, the uh, LGBTQIA community and the disability community, um, because a lot of that data isn't available. Um, however, we do ask our productions to be intentional. And to your point as well, I sit on all of our green lights. Um, and so I'm looking at every single thing to say, well, what are we doing here? How can we be more um, intentional? Um, and so we recently had a conversation about uh, a, a project that had a wheelchair user in the as a character. And the conversation was, well, we have to find a wheelchair user actor. We have to. And I said, well, this is very interesting because I agree, you have to, but I love that no one's brought this up on any of our other projects. Mm -hmm. Like, wheelchair users can play any role. Any role. 
like I don't see a single role uh, on this other project that because we when we sit and do green lights we do multiple projects at a time. Um, I don't feel like I am leaving. I'm, I'm giving any trade secrets. I think we all do that. Uh, but when we do, like you said, it's like that's so funny. We just closed this other conversation. I didn't hear anyone talk about wheelchair users. Mm-hmm. I didn't hear anyone say how can we give produ- uh, productivity tools to folks with um, with any type of disability. So those are the things that we try to do. And the last thing I say that we try to do is make more a uh, further commitments. Um, so we're actually in the process right now of, of redoing our inclusion policies. So our V2 is scheduled to come out later this year. Um, and in that, we're looking to see how can we be even more impactful. Um, so one thing that we found out on um, one of our shows, uh, we had a, a person with disabilities on one of the show. He uh, was a wheelchair user. There is only one trailer in all of Los Angeles that is wheelchair accessible. Wow. One. Like it was, and of course it was being used. It was being used at the time he was scheduled to shoot. And when we looked at that, I had a fun little conversation with our vendor. uh, Because I was like, so are you not embarrassed? Mm. You know, and it's having those conversations. And usually I, I approach this work very collaboratively and I'm very like, how can we help you? But that was one that I think was really hard to deal with because I couldn't in the way it was the way he said it to me. Like if it was so matter of fact, oh, well, the one I have, <laughs> I was like, you have one. You're not embarrassed to say that. Like, you should be embarrassed to say that you, by now. It's twenty. That must be an expression. You mean yeah. like the ones? <laughs> yeah. He's like, no, 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 the one I have. Um, and then the last thing I'll say that you think about how do we think about diversity as well is we do also look at all of our shows, right? So I don't think it's any secret that all of Hollywood is looking to go bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and so how do we have these really big IPs that also are inclusive, Mm-hmm. Right, because they can be both. We saw that with Lord of the Rings. Uh, Power of the Rings is extremely inclusive. How do we ensure that that's happening? Um, the Terminalist um, is inclusive. We also had uh, another movie with Chris Pratt that on the. I remember seeing it come in, and I was like, "Oh, great, Chris Pratt with a gun! Awesome!" That's literally what I said. And then I read the script. And then I saw the cuts, and I was like, oh, wow, women have agency in this movie. Uh, people of color are not just dying to die. Like there's, it, was, it was beautiful to watch it. And yes, it's still Chris Pratt with a gun. Uh, not going to lie, it's still Chris Pratt with a gun. But it can be inclusive as well. So that's, those are the projects that we're looking at. And then we also are looking, how do we get more specific, right? Mm-hmm. We can be specific, and I think we talked again about language. And this is when I'll start to shut up again. Uh, but we talked about language, and I am really working very hard and being very intentional when I hear the word broad because when we say broad in a lot of our rooms that we're in we mean white men that's right and I want to make sure that that's not what we're saying right like broad means the people in this room like when I look at this room I see people who look very different than the person sitting next to them and that's what I when I say broad I want to put something on the screen that in everyone here can enjoy, not just white men. And I want to uh, change that word specifically. Well, I think that's great. Um, I'm going to have another question for you about budget in a minute. But um, one of the things you said, Jerome, is um, data is king. So my motto is, in God we trust, all others must bring data. (laughs) Right? So, So as you think about broadness, and we talked about this on our call, we're looking at a population under 15, where 50% of the population is non-white, is multicultural people of color, um, and identify as such on the census. So that's under 15. So in 10 years, 
in 10 years, when we think about where the audience will be, because we know it's multicultural now, if we continue to think about broadness as whiteness, maleness, straightness, et cetera, we'll be really missing the boat on the business. The business will move forward without us. Yeah. Um, so the question about budget. Yes. Okay. Have you looked at any um, inclusion initiatives that include budget commitments, not just for support services behind the scenes, yep. um, but budget commitments so that content that's representing um, non-white communities is receiving the same type of budget commitments? Yes, we have. Um, we are openly discussing them now. Not going to lie to you at all. We are openly discussing them. We are looking at our data internally to see, and we are actually, I have a great team. Uh, Dan Dal Dalknoff um, actually is our head of data. We actually have a head of data um, at D just for our DIA team where we're looking to see, hey, that's so interesting. All of our releases last year that didn't have, you know, historically excluded folks at the lead of it got X budget and the folks that did got Y budget. Why? And how do we patch that? Um, I don't know if that's the truth yet. He's still doing that work right now, to be clear. I mean, we can anecdotally think, uh, but we, I don't know if it's true just yet. Um, and to your point, I always, I often say I am not in this business um, or in this role right now to have a moral conversation. This is not a moral conversation about whether or not we should be accessible. That answer is yes. And if you don't believe that answer is yes, then I don't know why we're speaking in general. That's my number one thing when I talk to folks. Um, I'm here because this is a business decision. I wake up because I got paid to come to this place, right? Like when I when I go to work, I'm like, I got paid. And uh, when I fight with folks, I'm like, well, this is an expensive argument for you. But I want you to know I, this, is, this is not cheap, uh, right? Like just so we're all on the same page, uh, this is not cheap. And so... We're here to make, and so again, when the data and ex everything you're saying, because uh, uh, I'll even go further in that, like, even if you take out a 15-year-old, if you go higher to 20-year-olds and 25-year-olds, you're saying that, so we don't have a business, not in 10 years, in, three, in years. Three, years. three years. We don't have a business in three years if we are not making content that acquires and retains that audience. Mm -hmm. You don't have, so that's when I'm sitting in a room and I'm like, well, they're like, well, why should we greenlight this? Because you will not have a job. You will literally not have a job if you did. Like, we all live comfortably, thankfully. And so, like, don't you want to keep living that way? If not, then, like, please keep, please keep greenlighting these other things that are saying no because there are other networks that will greenlight them. There are other services. That's all. We are in the world of free, like, YouTube. YouTube is amazing. Like, there's so many things on YouTube that's free for people to go look at. And so when we're trying to say, hey, again, Prime Video, we I think it's $199 now a year to, for Prime. Um, and so it's like, that's $200 a year. Like, that's expensive. But it comes with free shipping. It does come with free shipping, and <laughs> it does. We're at, it really does. And, it, and Lord, uh, Two-day shipping, too. I'm now that person who's like, it's more than two days? Jesus. God, get with the times, y'all. No. So it's like, we don't have, like, we're asking folks to spend a lot of money, a lot of their hard-earned money on us. And you have to make sure that you are creating content that makes them want to do it and make them not think that they're spending $200 a year just to watch Power of the Rings, right? Mm -hmm. And also get their paper towels, um, hopefully. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so oh that, I think oh, I asked that question. I saw my car. You all asked me a question I was going to ask you, so <laughs> sounds good. Um, so again, I think, um, you know, there are people in this audience, because um, they think uh, I do not have a watch, but I think it's time. I, my watch is not right. Uh, it's 12.15, so, so we have some time. So I would say, how about there are people in this audience that are kind of wondering, um, how can they get started 
in this work? How can they get started in accessibility? What are what's your advice to those folks out there that are thinking how can they get started first in the business part of accessibility? Mm-hmm. Nicole, um, yeah, I'll start. I mean, so I think that. Um, you start by starting, you know, just find an, uh, an unmet need. So as I mentioned, this position never existed at participant, but I really had a passion for doing it and, you know, really discovered the opportunity five years ago when I helped start, um, a coalition called storyline partners. And it's a coalition of nonprofits working in writers rooms to help authentically represent underrepresented or misrepresented stories and meeting those nonprofits and getting to know them and getting to know their work was like, Oh my God, you know, this is what I want to do. This is a lens I want to make sure we're applying to all of our work at Participant. And no one was asking me to do it. You know, I volunteered. I said, we need to do this. This is going to keep us relevant. As we were talking about, this is going to better connect to our audience. And so I started doing it. And um, a year ago, I just put pen to paper and created my job description. And, you know, it's like, I love doing it. I had built trust over the years with our content creators. And it became a real thing. And it became the thing I'm doing now, which I'm so grateful for and so excited about. But I would say, you know, just, just, you know, I I think depending where we are in our companies, we all are in a position of power. We're Mm -hmm. all in a position of making decisions. And so we can all be proactive in really ensuring accessibility um, through the work that through the work that we're doing. And I think understanding that role we play is, is the way that we can really um, be allies, be champions, and also be change makers through that work. Yeah. I, I would also say it depends whether you want a job that has inclusion in the title or whether you just want to do the work Yeah, because my business is, is not inclusion. My business is culture change always has been, I've been at this job two years, but the core that has driven my career has been a real commitment to culture change. And I just, I simply found that the media is the best place to do that work because nothing reflects who we are more than television and film, but nothing defines who we are more than television and film. And so if everyone deserves to know Sue Ann, everyone deserves (laughs) to know her story. So you can do inclusion work, no matter what role you're in, in television and film, it's just being the person in the room, beating the drum, keeping your foot on the pedal, every other metaphor for moving forward aggressively. I have a lot of them, right? I have a lot of them. So you can do that job as an infiltrator. You can do that job as a person of color. You can do that job as a person with a disability. You can do that job as someone who's gay, as someone who's trans, or you can do that job just as however you came into the room, just because you happen to be that sitting in that room and you want to plant a flag for a community that you represent or that you don't. Um, so, so I think it's an interesting question because I'm hoping that most of us are finding a way to do that work. And if we're not, then I'm not sure that I necessarily want you in the business of television and film. Yeah. I love that. (laughs) I love that. 
Um, I would say, and then I want to give you, Sue, because I want to um, ask you specific questions about those yeah. who are want to do um, who want to do your work. But I would say, for me, um, and kingmakers over here, yeah, guys. Right. <laughs> oh man, oh. You're like, Nicole's a badass. I didn't realize it's like I just wrote my Ooh. job description. Uh, it's like I just said, pay me. Uh, that's what happened. Um, no, I I think for me, and I know that social media gets a bad rap now, um, but I actually I love that little bird app, Twitter. I love it. And because, and I, I was recently, um, you know, so six months ago, I, I hired uh, a team. And so we were all, I was interviewing uh, every single day. Um, and one of my key things on my interviewing, when I was interviewing someone, was if they could talk about someone they didn't identify, our community they didn't identify with. And it was so interesting to see if I would talk to a woman, she would only talk about women. If I was talking to a black person, they were only talking about black people and how, you know, we need to be more diverse for black people. Uh, and I just saw that consistently show up. And so the only folks that made it past our first phone screen were folks who identified as one way. But then when we were talking about inclusivity, we're inclusive of other historically excluded communities because we have to be able to, and I think you said it really great, Carla, there, where I have to show up for the say, I have to show up for the Sue Ann's, right, in a room, even though I'm Jerome. I have to show up just as passionately. I am not on the autism spectrum, but I I have a disability. And if I'm like, okay, well, if I'm willing to fight you about my disability, I got to be willing to fight you about someone else's as well. I have to show up the same exact way if it's a queer story that it is if it's an indigenous woman's story. I have to show up. So it was really important for me to find folks on my team who really cared about other historically excluded communities, not just themselves. And the way that all of us have done that is by Twitter. Um, So my recommendation to all of you in the room now is if you haven't already, go to Twitter today when you leave this room. And follow someone who doesn't look like you. Follow them and look at their tweets. Look at what they're talking about. Find Tap into the community that you don't identify with so that you can understand how you actually work together to make inclusion really work. Right. So that's really uh, my biggest advice. I support all of that except going to Twitter right now. Oh, is it bad? Is Twitter bad right now? I don't know. Is it bad? Oh, no. Well, you know, I've been off it for a few weeks or maybe a few months, but we're not going to say anything about that. I'm like, oh, no. Well, maybe it's Instagram. Like, Instagram. Are, well, then you got that one. So, you know, it's just, it's hilarious. It doesn't matter. But no, I think that, again, just go to somewhere that you don't identify with yeah. those folks that are there. Mm-hmm. And I think you will actually because again when i talk to folks that i don't identify with i find that they are so open mm-hmm. to talk about like when someone i think the other night i met someone she's like can you help me figure out how to talk to men and i was <laughs> like okay yeah sure let's figure out you know it's like so people are really it was specifically how does she make men stop making sexist jokes and i was like yeah let's figure that out and you know and it was so it was a really interesting conversation at a bar um to have with someone but suam for you for there's folks in the room that want to be on screen and they want to and you've been doing this for a very long time and you've evolved in that so what's your advice to folks that are looking to get into this business your side of this business yeah um i'm a little bit of like you know if you guys read a bit about temple grandin she's so old school she's like just get to work, you know? I mean, I think, I think it's it's like anything else, right? It's hard to be an actor. It's yeah. it's hard whether you're straight, gay, and, you know, like Asian, black, white, disabled or not. It's it's tough, right, Nick? 
<laughs> so you're gonna have to do the things that everybody does for your craft, right? You're gonna have to go to class, you know, find classes that you know. And here's the thing about this is why the autism spectrum is so interesting. You have very, very talented people who may be nonverbal, and you know, and I love like this is you know Tal Anderson who was on our show. Yeah, she yeah, played yeah, Gia. Yeah. Like I was sitting there, I was like editing my last music video. I was like, can somebody put a moon, like two moons in the sky? How do I do this? And everyone, like all the like regular editors were like, first of all, you need to go to Pro Tools. I was like, dude, I'm not going to like <laughs> learn how to edit like 10 years worth of editing. Like people, are, and then Tal was like, all you got to do is like put the composite behind. And I was like, cause she's an editor. And I did that. And it was simple, quick, easy, Bam, she got it done yeah. in like five minutes. So you're missing out on a talent pool if you're not hiring like people who are of different abilities because their input is going to change the way you do things. Like all the rest of these people who have been being paid, paid like hundreds of thousands for their job. I was like, it's so, why do you have to make it so difficult? <laughs> like, right, you know? To justify that hundred thousands of dollars that they're getting paid. Exactly, That's what they, yeah. right? It's like, mm, not that efficient. What were we talking about? We were talking about something really important. <laughs> acting, acting. Yes. No, you're good. Yeah, yeah. So, Get together, make your own content, um, make your own content, right? So find there's so many spaces, you know, go where you're beloved, wanted, you know, people are like, oh, we want an actor like you. You know, you guys are casting. Um, I have a lot of autistic actor friends on all and they're all t types of different abilities, spectrum of whatever you need. So um, and people and, and so you can't really say like, oh, we just couldn't find a talented actor of that type. No, you're like not tapping into a network or you don't care to or you already had your sights set on casting whoever you wanted to cast, which can happen. Right. As a director or filmmaker, whatever. You're like, I really like this person. But so it's it's, um, you know, so if you wanted to act, just do, you know. Go be in classes, go audition, start to audition, make friends with other actors. You know, you're, you're going to make stuff together. You're going to learn and grow. You know, uh, um, the people that you're probably acting, it's so funny that you did it and scripted. So in 2007, there was the WGA strike, right? And I was supposed to, I had like done like commercial, because commercial is the only thing I could book as an Asian person. Let's be real. Like, you know, everything else I had to come in with like an accent. And this director was like, oh, he bought the rights to this book and I was going to test opposite reading fines for this movie and I was like my big break finally 2007 oh. and then you know like the strike happened and nobody was going to work except in unscripted reality and so I did a pilot for a little show on MTV called Tequila Tequila oh, <laughs> shut it love Tequila Tequila yes and this is the crazy story. So out of that, the, I I was the Danny character, basically. Like It was like me at the very end, me, Tila, and some other girl. And then I was like, they're not going to have two Asian girls at the end. So I knew I, I finally like was going to get kicked out, <laughs> right? But I was like, I made my, my rent, you know, rent money for the day. But You were on the show? I was in the pilot. So I was in the Sal yeah, Sally Mae, $4.95. And then so I got my girlfriend a job as a producer, right? Because she had, you know, and then she produced... And casted the first RuPaul Drag Race. See, it's just—it's always—it all. Thank you for that. That was a perfect bookend. That was. Look at that. Um, but I will—I will end with what you had just said too. Is again, find folks that look like you, find your tribe, um, and then make your own stuff. So we're going to end with making sure the Easter Seals Disability Film Challenge. Yes, yes this evening is here, um, which is oh, I think one of the most amazing film challenges. Um, and again, I think when you think about uh, who gets to see that and how wide um, their network is, uh, I think last year we had we. 
had it at Sony and, you know, Warner Brothers is there. Amazon is there. And so and I use it. I do use it as a field of looking at like, well, who's out there? Um, and it's always interesting to see really great actors. Like there are so many amazing actors on these uh, on the film challenge um, that we track. And we're like, well, what role can we find for them? Same thing where we're looking at cinematographers, we're looking at directors, we're looking at editors. Like, that's literally how um, how deep we go when we look at the Easter Seals film cha- Disability Film Challenge, because we know that those folks are, are existing, to your point, Sue Ann. Like, they exist. It's not as if we, they don't. We just have to be intentional at finding them, tracking them, and finding what's the right role for them. And then the last thing is, remember, Easter Seals is a service provider. Um, and so if you have questions... Questions, reach out to Easter Seals. If you need field any field work, reach out to Easter Seals. And there are other organizations as well in partnership with Easter Seals um, that does this work and ensure that we can have inclusive spaces both in front of and behind the camera. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you all for joining us. We know that this is a packed festival. Um, and so the fact that you chose to spend your time with us today um, is super, um, I'm humbled by that. And thank you all so much. So thank you. Thank you.